0: Everybody, ah, thank you. That's kind. Got a question for you Have you ever felt like an outsider before? Uh, number of different times, number of different uh, occasions that I can remember that feeling. Uh, I had the privilege of visiting some different countries at different times in my life, and when you come to a new place where you don't understand the culture, sometimes you don't understand the language, you can't read the signs, how things work, you just feel like an outsider. I I can remember I was 18 years old, my very first time ever leaving uh, the country, first time on an airplane. It was uh, 1992, my youth pastor, a couple years earlier, had uh, become a missionary in Barcelona, Spain. And '92, the Summer Olympics were in Barcelona, and so he invited me and uh, two other uh, kids from our youth group to come into a short-term missions trip with him during the '92 Olympics in Barcelona. It was like I was so stoked, but I didn't speak any Spanish. Uh, fun fact, that's when I learned how to do balloon animals. Yes, you're welcome. Someday I will do the story of Jonah and blow your mind, okay? <laughs> So I'm there in uh, Barcelona. We've been there for about a week. Uh, I have picked up a few phrases, but not that much. And downtown, uh, kind of near, at least close to the Olympic Stadium, is uh, Las Ramblas. That's the main kind of thoroughfare. It's where all the shops and people walk, and uh, it kind of empties into the fountain that they do this like really cool like musical lighting fountain thing. And so we had about uh, 20 or 30 minutes to just do a little bit of exploring before we were supposed to be back together. We had been in the city for uh, a week. The one thing that I wanted to do while I was there was go to a, an Olympic event. Okay? But I really wanted to go to a particular Olympic event because if you remember, the 1992 Olympics was the first time that professional basketball players could play in the Olympics, and so was the original Dream Team, that's right, with Jordan and Magic and Bird, and I was like, oh, that'd be so awesome. Now, I knew it was probably impossible to get a ticket to go see the Dream Team, but I really was hoping somehow, like, I'm like, Lord, your servant is serving you, will you not? Uh, So uh, I'm walking back uh, to where I'm supposed to meet up uh, with the rest of the team, and I see a guy who's selling two tickets to some event, okay? So I walk up, and he's talking to somebody. They decide they don't want the tickets, and I'm just like, "Like, what are you selling? Now, he doesn't speak much English, and I certainly don't speak much Spanish, um, but he shows me the tickets, and he starts talking to me in, in, in Spanish, and I'm not really sure what he's saying, but I do pick up uh, España, the Estados Unidos, Baloncesto, which is basketball, all right? And I can see on the ticket uh, itself that it does have the little, like, funky dude that they had created for the Olympics, like, playing basketball. Like, he's shooting a basketball. Like, USA versus Spain basketball. And I'm kind of flipping out a little bit. And uh, he tells me what he's asking for the tickets. It's the only two tickets he's got, and I'm like, I'll buy them. I, like I'll buy them. Uh, so they were a little bit over face value, but not, not nearly as crazy as I was expecting. And I was so so. I give dude the money. Uh, he gives me the tickets. He takes off. And I know what you're thinking right now, right? <laughs> They're fakes, all right. But they weren't. They were real. They were legit. It was USA versus Spain Olympic Stadium Mujeres, and I was so excited to finally see the dream team, except for those of you that speak Spanish, you know Mujeres means women's. Now, I I ain't a hater on women's basketball. I like watching Michigan women's. I think they could actually beat Michigan men's right now. Uh, Ava Joldersma goes to church here. She's a senior at Hudsonville. She's like a phenomenal basketball player. I've seen her play a couple. But I was really, let's just be honest, disappointed that it was not the dream team. I still went, cheered on our ladies. We won. It was great. Have you ever had a time, though, when you felt like an outsider? Turn to the person next to you, share one time that you felt like an outsider. You didn't fit in. You didn't know the culture, the language, something like that. Go ahead and share with somebody next to you. All right, I'm going to pull us back. I'm going to pull us back. If you have your Bibles today, I would love you to open up to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2 in your Bible. Uh, as you know, for the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through the story of Joshua. It's an Old Testament book that really chronicles the history of when Israel is finally given the land that God had promised to Abraham over 500 years earlier. It's a land that God had always said he was going to give to Abraham and his descendants. But due to some, well, 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and another 40 years of Israel's disobedience, it's finally time that for Israel to enter into the promised land, the land that God had promised to give to Israel, And this is really kind of the history, the, the chronicling of that history in this book of Joshua. Uh, Moses had been the leader of Israel. He had helped lead Israel out of slavery, bondage in, in Egypt. Uh, God did miraculous works in the sight of all of the Egyptian and the Israelites and all of the ancient Near East. They had led, Moses had led the people out of Egypt, uh, To the Red Sea where God parted the waters and they walked through and gave a resounding military victory to Israel without Israel having to do a single thing when he then drowned Pharaoh's armies. They go on to the Mount Sinai, the Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai where God meets them in a beautiful, powerful way. And God creates a covenant with Israel that they will be his holy nation, his special treasure. They will be his and he will be theirs and he will bless the rest of the world was the intention through Israel. In fact, God comes and speaks the 10 commandments over them, comes down on this mountain with fire and smoke and a trumpet blast. It's so overwhelming that the people of Israel say to Moses, Moses, please ask God to stop speaking to us. Have him speak to you alone because if he continues to speak to us, we physically are going to die. Like, it was so overpowering, God's presence. God's doing some, something really unique and powerful. And then, in that next moment, uh, God says, now that you are my people, I'm going to give you this land. It's the land that I had promised to Abraham. And I'm good with my promises. And he says, I want you to go and take the land. And so, uh, Moses sends 12 spies into the land. Two spies come back, and they say, man dudes are big, they're well-armed, they got fortified cities, but God's giving it to us, let's go. Ten spies say, dudes are big, they got big armies and fortified cities, they're going to destroy us, we can't go. So instead of the people obeying God, they listen to the ten spies rather than the two, and the text literally tells us that their hearts melted with fear, and they choose to disobey God and As a result, they spend another 40 years wandering, and now they're finally ready to enter into the promised land. Moses has died. Joshua has just become the leader who's going to now enter the Israelites into the land. And we have this weird story that gets dropped into the narrative. Let's look at it together. We're going to read it in three chunks this morning. Joshua chapter 2, let's read verses 1 through 7. It says, Then Joshua... Son of Nun secretly sent two spies from Shittim, and he said, Go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. This is a very interesting beginning to the story. Not exactly what Joshua asked them to do. Verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You might catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now, there's three things that we need to pay attention to in these first seven verses. Number one is there's only two people that actually get mentioned by name. Joshua and Rahab, the Canaanite Prostitute. The two spies are not mentioned by name. The king of Jericho is not even mentioned by name, nor are the king's henchmen who come to find the spies. Only Joshua and Rahab are mentioned by name. Now, at this point in the story, we don't know what Rahab's motives are. Is she good? Is she bad? What's she up to? What's her angle? We're going to find out in just a minute, but the narrator purposefully leaves us wondering what is going on. Why has she risked her life for foreigners that she knows are coming to conquer her land? If the men had, that were sent from the king had barged in and gone upstairs and uncovered the two spies, she absolutely would have been killed. The third thing that we should probably point out is the spies don't seem to be very good at their job, all right? Uh, The narrator tells us that they get found out really quickly. They're supposed to spy out the land and the city, and instantly we find out that they just go to a prostitute's house. Not only that, uh, but instead of being able to search over the city itself and hide themselves well... Uh, they actually are supposed to kind of dig up. In fact, the, the word in in the original language is hapar. It's supposed to be this idea of like digging up information. Okay? We see that two times, verse 2 and verse 3, what they're called to do. Uh, instead of, though, digging up information, they wind up buried in verse 6 underneath some flax. All right? Uh, these are not like the, the greatest spies, um, there's a, 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 a Bill Murray movie called The Spy Who Knew Too Little, one of my favorite youth group movies I used to show. Uh, he's a bumbling spy, and that's exactly what the narrator seems to kind of make these two guys out to be as well. Uh, this is actually a really awkward story on a number of fronts. And I want to come back to this point a little bit later uh, as we get into the message, because it's actually a, a theological point that God intends us to see, to tell us what he's like, okay? So let's keep reading verses 8 through 11. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. This is totally unexpected what she says, what she does. Uh, first of all, it's, it's really interesting because it's easy for us to miss this. In our translations, um, if you're, if, especially if you're new to, to Christianity or to the church or to reading the Bible, um, this is an important thing just to understand. In the Old Testament, anytime you see the word Lord, okay, uh, put, put back up um, what we were just looking at. Uh, you're going to see it in verse 9, uh, again in verse 10, uh, again in verse 11, anytime you see the word Lord and all of the letters are capitalized, okay? It's a capital L and then they kind of make the capitalized letters a little bit little bit less. That is the proper name of God, okay? That is the name Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, the, the Jewish writers never would put in the, the um, vowels, just the consonants, so we're not 100% sure if it's Yahweh or Jehovah. We often say Yahweh. What she says in that moment is... That she knows about Yahweh. The fact that she actually knows God's personal name, a Canaanite, is actually pretty shocking. I'm sure it would have surprised the spies when she first comes and says, I know that Yahweh is giving you this land. All right? Uh, Not only that, but Rahab shows uh, a pure faith. Unlike, quite honestly, what we've seen in Israel up until this time, which, again, is very surprising. Uh, certainly Joshua had that kind of faith in God, but so far in the story, we haven't seen anybody utter these kinds of words. She actually sounds more Israelite than the two spies that are there, and she's a Canaanite. She also says that the Canaanites are melting in fear because of what God has done. And she cites a couple of things. She says, we've heard about what God did when he rescued you out of Egypt, what he did to Egypt. That had happened 40 years earlier. Most likely before she was ever even born. And yet she's heard of what Yahweh has done. And she's also heard about what Yahweh had done recently with Sihon and Og. Do you remember I shared that story with you last week of what had happened when they wouldn't let Israel through and how God gave this amazing victory to Israel because these kings who had way more firepower, were way bigger, better armies, better training, they came up against God and God said, I'm going to give you into their hands. So Sihon and Og, like she's heard these things, but the faith that she talks about isn't simply a faith because she's heard of some stuff. It's a faith because she actually believes that God is real, that God is real. Who he said that he is, because she goes on to say at the very end that she says, I know that Yahweh is God of heaven above and on earth below. It's a really powerful moment in this story, and it's completely surprising. Let's continue on, verse 12. She then says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sister, and all who belong to them. Note who she doesn't mention. She doesn't mention her husband or her children. Just keep reading. We'll come back to that. She says, and that you will save us from death. The men say, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now when the men, uh, excuse me, now drop down to verse 22. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. When the two men started, then the two men started back, they went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua son of Nun and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, now listen to what they say. The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. They give the report that Rahab has given to them. She actually saves their lives on more than one occasion. First, she hides them. Secondly, she lies to those who are trying to find them to kill them. Then she actually tells them what to do when they escape. Go up into the hills for three days. That's how long the guys are going to be out. Wait till they come back. Then you can come down. And then she lets them out the window because her house is on the city wall so that they don't have to go through the city and out the gate. They can just rappel down and run up into the mountains. Uh, she is really the hero of the story. And she's not even an Israelite. Uh, I said at the beginning, this is an awkward story. Now, let me explain to you a little bit about why it's awkward, okay? First of all, the spies don't have any names. The king doesn't get a name, but Rahab is mentioned by name. They go to a prostitute's house. That's awkward, just in and of itself, and the fact that uh It was very well known throughout Jewish law that that wasn't something that men or women were supposed to engage in, and yet they go to her house. The original language actually uses a number of double entendres uh, on a couple of different occasions, kind of on purpose for that. Uh, The prostitute takes the two men in, she hides them, she lies to her own king. Why is she doing this? And then she shows faith in Yahweh. Uh, kind of unlike anything that we've heard other than from Joshua himself. And so the story is actually doing two things. Uh, I want to tell you the first, and then we're going to focus on the second. Uh, the first thing the story is actually doing is it's resetting and redeeming the original spy story. Okay, It's resetting and redeeming the original spy story. In the original spy story, they send out 12 spies. 10 come back and say, we can't, we can't do it. God can't do this. Two come back and say, of course we can. God's with us. God told us to. We can trust God. In this story, they don't send out 12, they send out two. I think that's very purposefully connected to the two good spies. Uh, The other thing that happens is in Deuteronomy 1.28, in the original spy story, it's Israel's heart that is said to melt in fear. And now in this spy story, We hear that it's the Canaanite hearts that are melting in fear. The same language is used in both stories. One applies to the Israelites when they should have faith in God. One applies to the Canaanites because they won't have faith in God. That's the first reason that I think this gets dropped in here. But there's a second reason. And I actually think that it's a more important reason why God had this included. The second reason is it gives Israel an important word about who is an insider And who is an outsider. And I think that this is an incredibly important word for us today as well. It wasn't just something that God wanted Israel to know. It's something that God wants you and I to know as well. It's the theological point of the story. Have you ever wondered why this story would have been included? That is a strange story. Whoever the narrator, the the chronicler of this history, this time of history that wrote the book of Joshua, there's all kinds of different stories that he could have included. And yet, He talks about this story, and it's a strange place to put the story. You you have in chapter 1, God coming and commissioning Joshua that he's going to take over uh, kind of the role of Moses and lead the people in, and then chapter 3 is actually when they head to the Jordan and cross through it, and it's like, that all makes sense, but then this story kind of gets dropped right in the middle. Why? And if I'm I'm Jewish, I don't know that I want to read about a Canaanite hero. And I don't think that I want to read about a, a, a Canaanite hero that's a woman. And I don't want to read about a Canaanite woman hero who's also a prostitute. Like, I probably would have just figured out a way to kind of whitewash this story. I would have just told about, like, the, the two spies and how cunning and awesome they were. And they hid themselves and they escaped. Da, 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 and, like, I wouldn't have gone and told us God wanted this put in on purpose. Because there's something that God needed Israel to be reminded of, and you and I as well. Um, It's interesting because Rahab is the hero of the story, and she's a Canaanite. Uh, Not just a Canaanite, but a woman. Sounds sexist just for me to say that out loud in 2022 in America, doesn't it? We've come a long way from how women were seen and valued and respected in the ancient Near East. Women did not have the same social standing that they have today. I'm not saying that we have arrived and everything is perfect, but it's way better today than it was back then. Uh, Not just, though, being a woman, uh, but she was uh, husbandless. She has no husband. Husbands would have been the way that she would have experienced the kind of protection. It's probably why she has found herself in the work that she's in. Not only that, but she doesn't have children. If you had a husband or had children, at least your children would take care of you as you get old. She does not have that social system to fall back on either. She's about as far outside of an outsider as you can possibly be. Uh, not, Not only that, but she actually lives on the outside of the wall. Like she's as far to the outside of the city as you can possibly get. She is an outsider of outsiders, especially as it pertains to Israel. I think God included this story to remind Israel that he is at work bringing outsiders to become insiders. It's the reason that God wanted this story in there. Because it was her faith in Yahweh that moved her from someone who was about as far outside the family of God as you could get to someone who became a person who was inside the family of God. Um, It's really interesting because uh, when we get to the story of Jericho, we'll find that the men do exactly as they promised, and she and her family are saved. And as a result of uh, that, the text just literally says that uh, she lived with Israel the rest of her days. It doesn't tell us, though, anything else about her. We don't find out until... The New Testament in Matthew that uh, she actually married. She got married to an Israelite man. A Jewish man married her. Uh, his name was Salmon. You say Salmon, I say Salmon. Same spelling. <laughs> and Salmon marries Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, and they have children together. One of their kids... Boaz winds up also giving birth to a couple of more children and eventually one of their grandkids gives birth to King David. We learn about who Rahab married in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 where it shows that she is in direct line to Jesus. God took the most outside person, and because of her faith, He brought her not just into the family, but actually into the as a direct descendant of Jesus, the Savior of the world himself. I think that that's stinking amazing. Uh, if this was a black church, y'all would be saying, "Won't he do it?" Now you'd be like, won't he do it?" Now, because That's the kind of God that we serve, that we know. That's the kind of God that sees the outsider and says, I'm not satisfied with them being on the outside. It's the whole reason that he sent Jesus, because he wanted to take outsiders and bring them inside. He wanted them to experience what it's like to be a part of his family. And what a beautiful, amazing, unbelievable story. And God dropped it in, an awkward, inconvenient story, especially if you are Jewish, and this book was written to, because he wanted them to understand how he views the outsider. Uh, Israel was always intended to be the methodology or, or, or the conduit with, with which God was going to then bless the rest of the world. Old Testament scholar Robert Hubbard, uh, he shared four takeaways that, that I read that I thought, man, super, super helpful. And so I wanted to share as we close these four takeaways that I think will be helpful for us. If you're a note taker, uh, this is your time. Pull out that pen, pull out that notebook. If you're a note taker, but you ain't got that, pull out your phone, bloop, bloop, take a picture. I don't think... Your phones make that noise, but take the picture. That will help you. You'll be able to see it. You'll be able to go back, think about it this afternoon, talk it over with some of your friends. Number one, we need to embrace and celebrate the idea that God is at work in all kinds of ways and with all kinds of people. We need to embrace and celebrate that. Folks that you think, ain't no way this person will ever give their life to Jesus, become a follower of Jesus. You have no idea sometimes how God is moving, working, things that God is doing in their life. And we want to embrace and celebrate the fact that God is always working in so many different people's lives. God sent Jesus because of his love for us. He didn't need to, he didn't have to, but because of his great love, he was willing to send his one and only son, that whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 13 says this, This is the message version. I just like how Eugene Peterson wrote it. He says, but don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this. Didn't you know the first thing about the way God works? Uh, You didn't, sorry. You didn't know the first thing about the way God works. Hadn't the faintest idea of Christ, you knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now, because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it all together are in on everything. That every single one of us was an outsider. The, the longer that we follow Jesus, the the more we forget what it was like. But, oh, friends, we have to remember. We can't allow us to forget what it was like before we knew Jesus, before we were part of the family of God. Second thing, we need to work hard at getting past first impressions. We got to work hard to get past first impressions, regardless of outward appearance or background or attitude, every person we come in contact with is a person that Jesus died for, is a person that Jesus loves. Every single one. And so I want to give you some ways that I think are helpful for us to get past some of these first impressions, okay? Get to know people on their terms, not yours. Get to know people on their terms, not yours. Don't make it about you and about what you think is right and wrong and how you want them to conform. Get to know them on their terms. Find out what they like or dislike. Ask them to tell you their story. Listen to it without reacting or judging. Everybody's got a story. Where they've come from, the difficult things that they've endured, what it was like in their home. Ask them to share their dreams, their hopes, and their fears. What are the things that drive them? What are they passionate about? What do they hope for when they think of the future? Above all, take them seriously. Treat them as a genuine human being, not as some category or type or project. If we're going to get to know those that are outside so that we can help share the love of Christ with them, we have to Meet people on their terms. We gotta get to know them. Uh, The third thing, we have to see others as people whom God has on the way somewhere, not people who have reached their final destination in life. I don't know about you, but I am definitely not arrived yet. I'm very much still on the way. My wife (laughs) would concur. I've not arrived. I hope that you guys see me as somebody who's still on the path. And certainly, if you can give me that kind of grace, you can give others that kind of grace as well. And we begin to see people as a work in progress that God is doing and isn't finished with yet. All of a sudden, it begins to shift how we view them, how we think about them. They don't have to have everything perfect, everything locked in, everything right. We start to recognize that God is moving in their lives. And so the way that we help this happen is we pray for them as people, expecting that the God who has and is transforming us is going to transform them as well so we pray with expectancy all right not only do we pray with expectancy but when we see movement in their lives we call it out in them we tell them wow that's so cool a month ago man i don't know that you would have said that hey three weeks ago i don't know that you would have responded that way when she did that to you look at you man god's doing something The last thing is we want to work with people to meet their practical needs. All right, when we care for others with practical help, we show how much we actually trust in God ourselves. Love for others is not simply a feeling, all right? When we say we care about somebody, it's not simply a feeling. It's an, intended to be a sacrificial act that shows God has and is transforming us and actually confirms our faith as real. It's one thing to talk a game, okay? But when we actually put our money where our mouth is, our time where our mouth is, when we don't just say we care about the outsider, but we actually take practical steps to help them out, we actually begin to show that our faith is real. And it's not just something that we say, it's something that we actually do. It's a sacrificial act. God blesses that, and God also uses that to bless others. You ever wonder sometimes, like, man, is my, like, am I really, like, I know I call myself a Christian. I do some of the things, but, like, how do you want to know? You want to know if you have, like, confirmation of your salvation? This is one of those ways. This is one of those ways. If you're struggling, be like, oh, yeah, but I did do that thing. (laughs) I sacrificed some time. I sacrificed some money. I sacrificed to, to love on that person. When we care for others, we show our trust in God. Now, I want to say this too. This is important. At the same time, it's all right to set boundaries, okay? Sometimes when you're working with somebody else who, who, who is an outsider and you're helping them find what it means to be in the family of God and, and, and follow Jesus, like, you know the baggage you come with, right? All of us carry something in. And sometimes that's more than what we can sustain, Okay goes beyond. It's all right to set boundaries. There's not a problem with that. The needs are always greater than what you have available. But you can't fix everything in the world, but you can fix some things. All right? You can't can't save every child in the world, but you can the one that's standing in front of you. And so that's all we want to say is like, look, it's going to take actual sacrifice for us to step into these hard, difficult things. Like if we're going to help outsiders become insiders, I promise you Rahab and her family, they did not mesh well with Israel at first. It took time, but God was in the midst of all of that. Uh, you want to know why I care so much about this? Well, first and foremost, because God does. But secondly, because my, my in-laws were outsiders. Uh, Back in the 1960s, my in-laws came to the United States from Philadelphia, or excuse me, from the Philippines, (laughs) to (laughs) Philadelphia. (laughs) Uh, I'm really good with my geography. (laughs) My in-laws came from the Philippines to Philadelphia, and they were outsiders. They had a different culture, they looked different, they had a different accent, they enjoyed different foods than most of the folks around them, and it was because of a church in Upper Darby, Grace Chapel, West Philadelphia, that loved on my in-laws and their kids, isn't that a great picture? Look at that angsty chick in the middle. (laughs) Because they loved on that family and allowed outsiders to be cared for as insiders, they experienced the love of Christ and it transformed not just my in-laws, but their children. Two of those kids wound up working in ministry. Two of those kids wound up adopting special needs children. All of them are following Jesus to this day, all because it was a church that said, you're welcome here, and we're going to love you. And TLC, that's what I so desperately desire for us to be, what I want my own heart's desire to be, that those who maybe right now feel like they're on the outside looking in, would sense that this is a place where they can find family and they can find home and that they will be welcomed in. Why? Because you and I were outsiders once too. And so we had the chance to be able to share the love of Jesus with them, to bring them into a place that becomes home and family, where they are no longer outsiders, but are now insiders. And you never know what's going to happen when God does that. Father, we want to be that. We don't want to just talk about it. We want to actually be about it in our lives, with our resources, our time, our money, our gifts. Uh, God, our, our experiences. God, let us not just talk about it. But God, it's so hard sometimes to not just talk about it. So we're asking you to help. Give us a heart like your heart. God, give us eyes to see people the way that you see them. To look past the the baggage and the difficulties and the differences. To see a person that is loved by you. That Jesus himself died for. And God, let us love others the way you have loved us. We ask it in Jesus' name.